week two in the series called Spirit Fruit. We are looking at the fruit of the Spirit. You're not surprised? Yeah, it wasn't a trick title. For those who are involved in growing, those who are involved in the growing business, agriculture and the like, words like cultivation, loving attention and watchfulness are their kind of words. For those who are involved in parts of life that are more organic, um, where they are not growing things because things grow by themselves, but where they are supervising growth and keeping an eye on things, words like cultivation and loving attention uh, and watchfulness are very, very important words. And when we come to talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life, then words like cultivation, loving attention and watchfulness are similarly very, very important. In some ways, the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit couldn't be more different. We're going to spend three weeks on the gifts of the Holy Spirit after these three weeks. It's a completely different uh, situation. The gifts of the Spirit are given by God to whomever He wills and has nothing to do with godly character, nothing to do with maturity, nothing, nothing to do with cultivation really at its heart, although obviously gifts, uh, skills can be added to gifts, but gifts are just given. Sometimes it looks a bit random, sometimes God's choice of this gift for this person is a bit surprising, but there it is. Fruit is completely different. It's God's intention that every believer cultivate the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That for every single believer, the fruit of the Spirit is carefully cultivated and nurtured and lovingly attended to in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. The dynamic is completely different. The fruit of the Spirit has everything to do with godly character, has everything to do with maturity. Uh, It's a completely different deal, a completely different dynamic. And it's important that we are aware of that. We're going to be uh, working through a passage in Galatians chapter 5, same passage as Simon. Uh, Last week, you're going to get three kind of similar sermons in a row, three different preachers, Simon last week, myself this week, Dan next week. And we're going to be all talking about the fruit of the Spirit and making some big general comments and then focusing on uh, three out of the particular list of nine in in Galatians 5.22. Simon focused on love, joy and peace last week. For me this week, it will be patience, kindness and goodness. But we're all going to spend significant time talking about the theme generally as well. And three different voices um, will should hopefully give a nice round perspective. So let's read. Um, the words should come up on, on the screen here. We're going to read Galatians 5 verse 1. And then we're going to skip straight to verse 13 through to the end of chapter 5. So if you have a Bible with you, please follow it on your Bible or follow it on the screen. Thank you. For freedom Christ has set us free. As we've just been singing, that wasn't planned. That's the Spirit leading us. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, sorry, verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not eaten up by one another or consumed. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh or the sinful appetites. For the sinful appetites or the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. 
And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh or the sinful appetites are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So there's more. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. This is the Word of God. Father, we stand in um, submission to your Word. We don't want to stand over it in our heart and assess it as if it were under our scrutiny. We don't want to stand beside it as if we were reading from something that isn't equal. We stand under it. We say this is inspired by you. It has authority. And we submit to it, Lord. And I thank you that as we do that, it will bring all manner of wonderful life and freedom to our souls. So we do that, Lord, and thank you that, it, um, thank you, that you love to own your word. And so, Holy Spirit, I do ask you that you would own the preaching of the word and help me to stay absolutely true to what is written here. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to pick out a few really key verses, work through the passage I've just read, not every verse, but just pick out a few key ones just to help you really catch hold of the main themes, and then when we're done that, that'll be the end of the sermon, okay? There we go. 5 verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is an incredible statement. Um, where Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, and he's writing to them, this is your destiny. Yes, Christ has set you free, but why? So that you can be free. He hasn't set you free so that you can then say, that was an amazing experience, but now let's go back to how we were before. Or now let's, let, now let's find a new kind of master that's going to restrict and constrain us. No, Jesus has set you free so that you can walk in freedom. That's the Christian life, to walk in freedom. For the Galatians, it was to do with the Jewish law. That's what was going on there. These, this church that was made up primarily of Gentiles were being influenced by some people that were trying to say, no, 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 just to believe in Jesus is not enough. It's great. He is the Messiah. But you also need to live under the Jewish law. And Paul was saying, no, you don't. Jesus is enough. Did a whole sermon series called that, Working Through Galatians. Jesus is absolutely enough. Um, if Jesus' righteousness is not enough, then that dying on the cross was in vain because it was insufficient. So it's a really big deal. But this is a statement Paul makes on the destiny of Christians. We are to submit to the work of Christ on the cross and say, I believe that's enough. I believe you've set me free so I might walk in true Christian freedom and I am going to take my stand on that and not let anyone or anything move me back into a lifestyle of heavy, burdensome slavery. Amen? Yes. It should be a Christian kind of aggression, a, a robust resistance to anything that brings a heaviness that is not from God. The Bible says the commands of God are not burdensome. 
Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay? And so, when, when understood properly, the Christian life, though very costly, is still a light and easy thing. Okay, we'll, we'll unpack that strange, how does that work? We'll unpack that as we go through. Next important verse, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, there he says the same thing again. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, just to clarify the flesh, you heard me interchanging it with this phrase, sinful appetite. Because the reason I was doing that is because sometimes we can get a, a wrong impression and we can think that um, Paul is saying it's the body versus the spirit. It's not the body versus the spirit. The body is good. Part of God's creation, good. In fact, it's so good that God is determined that for eternity, those who believe in him will be given a brand new body. So physical is good. It's just that it will be a body that we get in eternity that is not uh, subject to corruption, um, that is not subject to uh, sinful appetites, etc., etc. Okay? So physically, it's not, it's not the body against the spirit. This flesh, what it's talking about, it's talking about kind of independent humanity. You know, I did it my way. I will survive. It's, it's all those kind of, those mighty anthems are rooted in this idea of, you know, I, you know, I don't need you, God. Uh, it's really Genesis 3. God said, don't eat the fruit, but we're going to eat it anyway. That's the idea. That's the flesh. It's, uh, hum- and, and the world is really l- the flesh gathered together uh, without any reference to God. That, 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 the human, humanity with no care for God. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, and when we turn from him, we find all kinds of other desires growing in us that really want to gain mastery over us that are the desires of the flesh or sinful appetites. Now, Paul says this, you are called to freedom, but don't use it for your sinful appetites. The proper Christian response is not to say, now I've been set free, I'll just do whatever I like. The reason why is because, number one, that really doesn't glorify God. Number two, it doesn't do us any good. Because what happens is before, before you can say, Jack Robinson, you found yourself enslaved to something else. You, found, you think, oh, I've just ran headlong into doing whatever I want to do, where suddenly I find my, I can't stop myself. Suddenly I find I've been gripped by something else. What's happened here? Well, you've responded wrongly to the freedom that Jesus has given you. He's set you free. Why? Here's why. So that through love you can serve one another. That is the goal of Christian freedom. That in a, through love, that means through a, a genuine, a God-given affection for you lot, I can lay down my life for you. And you, through God-given affection, can lay down your life for me. That we can do that. That is what our freedom is for. That's going to take maybe a little while to sink in, because that's quite a radical thing to say. So we just need to understand this is an important moment. Christian freedom is not just freedom from, but it's freedom to. Okay, so free from being under the law, free from the rule of sin, but now I'm free to serve. Now I'm free to give myself, because it's modelling on Jesus who gave himself for us, right? It's gospel freedom. So it's like, oh, that's what, oh, Jesus, the most free man. And what does he do? He, he becomes obedient to death. And death on a cross, why? For, for us. He didn't, need to, he didn't need to die, he was perfect. He, he didn't, you know, but he, why does he do it? For us, right? Oh, it's a model, it's gospel freedom. I've been set free to lay down my life for my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it is. It's the Christian life. It's beautiful. It's glorious. It leads to resurrection life. Where does it lead? Well, look at Jesus now. Exalted, glorified, honoured. That's where, that's where it goes. That's where this life leads. That's where the life of service leads. 
He knows what's best for us, but it's a very different message from what you and I are hearing most of the time as we go about our business. Listen to how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 9. If you look to get it up on the slide, uh, he says, uh, Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. See, it goes further than just serving one another. It's also for the sake of those who don't know Jesus. That we do all we can, even though we're kind of free. So Paul says, people that are Jews, I'll live like a Jew. I'll stop eating certain things. I'll live a certain way. Why? Because I want to get here in for the gospel. When I'm with the Romans, I'll live like them. Why? Just because I, I don't want to create barriers. I want to be able to find out about Jesus. And in the same way as Christians, we, you know, if I'm with people that, I don't know, maybe they dress in a way that I would never think of dressing. But the way I dress really gives them a problem. I'm happy to dress like they dress in order to be able to say, oh, you know what, I don't want to cause a problem by the way I look. Because I just would love you to know about Jesus. That's the gospel spirit. That's the missionary spirit. When you don't cling to this bizarre kind of, how can I put it, this uh, very superficial an unworthy sense of identity that's simply built around the externals, but you know who you are in Jesus. And as a result, you're very flexible to be this way or that way in order to serve and reach people for Christ. It's the kind of, it brings a bigness to, our, to who we are. It's wonderful, wonderful Christ-like stuff. So it's a very important verse there. Then we go to uh, Galatians 5.16, another important verse. I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So all those things I read, sex and immorality, idolatry, fits of anger, all of that. Paul says this very powerful sentence, which is like a bit of a key to it all. He says, if you walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify. You will not obey those things and fall into a lifestyle of them if you walk by the Spirit. That's huge. That's like, Paul, do you mean that? Because if you mean that, I've really got to learn how to walk by the Spirit. If that is true... If that's not just some kind of, you know, you got swept up in enthusiasm. If that is true, that if I walk by the Spirit, I will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I really need to, I need to get this. Was it just me? Yeah, yeah right. We need to, someone say yeah. I'm going to say no, it's me too. Yeah. Which is a really, really big one that we've got to take seriously. I'm not going to unpack that now. I'm going to do that towards the end of the sermon. Um, because... He says the same thing again, I'm gonna, but I just want to mark it and say, massive promise. Huge, that's a promise you can rest your whole weight on and say, God, you said, if I walk by the Spirit, that I won't be enslaved to these things. Wow. This is big. You really underline bold. Okay. Verse 17, but here's the reality. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do brothers and sisters christian brothers and sisters the battle rages does it not there are warring parties within me this is real no matter how mature you are no matter how long you've been a believer there is a war going on on the inside There are desires in me that are outrightly opposed to one another. Fierce temptation to go after the things of the flesh. And strong desires to pursue the things of God. Temptation and sin are different things. So if I walk by the Spirit, that doesn't mean that I won't face temptation. But if I walk by the Spirit, I won't gratify the desires of the flesh. See the difference there? 
It's really important. Because sometimes you can be under such temptation, you think, God, what, what am I doing wrong? Or, God, I, I must repent of this, but you haven't done it. But you're just, it's crowding in from every angle, and you're feeling like you're in a pressure cooker. That's the normal Christian life. You have seasons like that. That's the spirit and the flesh. Paul says they, they're against one another. There's a very delicate balance that we live as Christians between kind of like glory and frailty. I'm experiencing God. I know him now. He's making me more and more like Jesus. I'm maturing. I'm using my gifts. God's opening up his purposes for me. Yeah. At the same time, I am facing temptation. I'm aware that I have certain weaknesses. Uh, all this treasure, this gospel glory is in a jar of clay. I'm very normal. I'm weak and actually somehow and even in my weakness that's how he shows his strength. It's a real delicate balance to Christian life and you can meet different kinds of Christians uh, that can kind of get this thing wrong in either extreme. And uh, these are the types. Um, If you could put the slide up please. Right. It's a fancy terms. Don't panic. I'm going to explain them to you. You can meet a Christian with an over-realized eschatology. Okay. What does eschatology mean? It's the study of the end times. It's the study of what's going to happen at the end when Jesus returns. It's a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. Okay? Someone with an over-realized eschatology, it's like they think and live as if Jesus has returned and it's all done. You'll know if you've been around one, because after being around them, you don't feel like you're questioning whether or not you're a Christian. You know the person, you know the type I mean? You sit there thinking, oh my goodness, they had three revelations before breakfast. They were in the third heaven before lunch. By tea time, they'd sprouted wings. You're just, you're just left thinking, am I, am I a believer? And you, you go back to your bedroom and you say things like, Lord, if I can call you Lord. <laughs> in case when I prayed that prayer to you, it didn't work. Let me just pray it again. You know, you do everything you can because you've, you've been around one of those. Okay. Or you can be around a, a Christian with an under-realized eschatology. Here's what happens with those kinds of Christians. The conversation's always really real. It's gritty. Because it's tough. And we don't like all that glory, glory, hallelujah stuff. Because it's tough. And you must never mention the word breakthrough around a believer with an under-realized eschatology because they will throw a cup at you. They hate that word. Growth is even a slightly dangerous word around such a believer. Because let's just keep our heads screwed on here. Yeah? You go away from a conversation with a believer with an under-realized eschatology, kind of feeling like, that was pretty real and gritty, but I feel totally uninspired. I don't want to pray anymore. I don't want to pray for miracles. I don't want to pray for breakthrough. I, God, God might bring some transformation, but, you know, no one might notice if he does. You know, you just kind of, everything's come down into this thing. Both of these Christians have gone off on one. The mature Christian is able to live in the now and the not yet and recognize that kind of the kingdom has come. Jesus has broken in. I've been made brand new. I'm no longer a slave to those things. And all of those wonderful verses, and at the same time, recognize I'm not the finished article yet. We all stumble in many ways. God's still at work in me. And some, that is the key to understanding this raging battle within and not being, not being utterly defeated by that. And being able to face it with strength. Does that make sense? Great. 5 verses 19 to 21. We've got this list of all these sins, and then listen to verse 21. I warn you, 
as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a very, very sober warning. If your life life pattern are things like sexual immorality, uh, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, divisions and dissensions, drunkenness and orgies, if those things are the pattern of your life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. No matter how many sinners' prayers you've prayed, no matter how many conferences you go to, uh, no no matter how many miracles you do, no matter how much you prophesy, Look at what Jesus said in Matthew uh, chapter 7. If we could just have that slide up. Not everyone who says to me, just thank you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, that's the final day, many will say to me, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will, and then I, will I declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Apart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Interestingly, Jesus doesn't say, no, you didn't do miracles. No, you didn't cast a demon. He doesn't say that at all. It seems that they did. But Jesus says, I didn't know you. This is a very important warning here. If you are here and you call yourself a believer, you call yourself a follower, a disciple, but actually the pattern of your life is those things, you are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You are, in a, you are, fun, you are potentially deceived. And you really need to wake up. You do, and I say that tenderness, I say that out of a place of humility. I'm very aware of my own vulnerabilities. I'm not saying it from a place of someone who doesn't, you know, and I, I, you know, I get it, but this, this cannot be the pattern of your life if you, if you say you're a believer. No. So today is a day you need to just wake up and say, golf, no more playing around. I want to follow you. That you might inherit the kingdom. Then we get onto the list here. We're going to quickly go through these three in verses 20, verse 22. The three I'm going to do are patience, kindness, and goodness. So in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, through cultivation, nurture, loving attention, and watchfulness, these three things should be growing in our lives. These three things will grow in our lives. The Holy Spirit is doing this in us. This is, this is part of God making us into the image of Jesus. Number one, patience. This word means long-suffering or forbearance. Any more old-fashioned words used to describe them, sticking it out. Christ, a, a mature Christian can tough it out. A mature Christian can find themselves in a season where it's really not ideal. They're in a season where circumstances, maybe and even people, are not what they would want. There's annoying people, there's awkward people, there's this thing here, there's pressure here, but they don't just uh, uh, duck out, they don't, ju- they don't harden their heart to God. They don't just turn to quick fix, sinful pleasures. They don't get bitter. They say, God, I don't really get this. This is not how I would want it, but I'm here, and I'm going to remain here, and I actually believe at some point the season's going to change. That's maturity. That's, that's godly. It might not be as exciting as prophesying and seeing the, the dead raised, but it's, a, it's part of the kingdom. To be able to stick it out. The Spirit is at work in these situations to help you, to strengthen you, to give you what you need to carry on. That you might be someone who endures, who's able to find love, joy and peace in seasons that are in situations that are not ideal. To enable you as you mature, not to just build your life around that which will always be the most easy for you. That can be tempting. Just engineer things so that it's always as easy as possible. Rather than saying, Lord, I want to just follow you. And I'm not going to create difficulty for the sake of it because that's perverse. But if it comes, I'm going to stick it out. I want glory. 
<laughs> I want glory. And so, Lord, I'm, I'm after say, and patience is, I'm, I'm still here. And I haven't gone sideways. And I haven't gone hard. It's really important. The second one is, is translated kindness. But the word, when you look at it, what is it, what's, it means usefulness, which is interesting. It's, the Greek word at its heart means usefulness. I found an interesting um, scripture that would help us here. 2 Timothy 2, uh, 20 to 21. In a great house, there were not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honourable use, some for dishonourable. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonourable, he will be a vessel for honourable use, set apart as holy. There it is, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So this is saying that as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, we'll become useful. Now, that's a word that can have some negative connotations. You know, if I said to you, you know, I really like you, you're, you're useful to me. How would you, how would you respond? You might think, oh, hold on a minute. Actually, Paul uses it a few times about certain people in his letters. Send them along, they're really useful. You read it, he says it at the end in the greetings, just read it. It's like, he says it. It's an interesting thing. Uh, how can I put it? The Lord loves us for who we are, uh, absolutely, but also he does want to use us for his purposes. And it's actually a great privilege to be entrusted with responsibility in, for things of the kingdom. It's massive, isn't it? You think, wow. So, and also, actually, to be useful to other people that you respect and love, that's really great. So the idea is that as you allow the Holy Spirit to work in you, you will become a steady, a steady and a sure instrument. You'll become someone that God will approach and that others will approach and that God will approach through others to say, can you take this on? Can you help out here? And it's because you've let the Spirit work in you and things are becoming evident in you that you're not someone who will start something and then drop it straight away. You're not someone who's great when you're in a good mood and invisible, it's gone, when you're not. You're you're someone who's, oh, we can put some weight on them. And they'll be okay. Or we can really build with them. You see, that's really important in church life. Really important. Always looking for people to come, can you shoulder this with us? Because it's the body of Christ. And so as we allow the Spirit to work in us, we become increasingly useful. And that's a good thing. Okay? So to be useful to God and to others, as long as the the use is honourable and holy and noble, it's a real privilege. And the Spirit will do that in you. And the third thing is good, goodness. Now, to be good is not the coolest thing in town, is it? So what's your aim? I want to be good. You know, it kind of lacks a bit of bite, doesn't it? To be bad, now we're talking. I want to be bad. That's cool. Um, or, or, you know, say, I want to be morally excellent. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, awkward silence. Because there's something about it. In our society, it's cool to be amoral, i.e., just kind of like whatever, or immoral, you know, just totally going headlong into all the craziness. Um, so this is quite a countercultural idea here. Let me just say this. Moral excellence is a valuable commodity in the kingdom of God. To actually say, you know what, I, I want to make it my aim by the power of the Spirit to be as straight as a die. To just be as straight as a die on the outside and on the inside. When everyone's looking and when no one's looking. You know, if I, 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 you know, and even if sometimes I go a bit over the top, I want to be straight. I don't want anything, to, any accusations to stick. 
That's actually quite a wonderful thing. The Holy Spirit is, a, is about producing straightness in you and in me. That's what he's doing. Which means, number one, we've got to let go of vain expectations. We've got to let go of being bad. Being cool. You know, it's so empty and it's such nonsense. So I'm going to let go of that because I want to be good. Look at Acts 10, verse 38. Talking about Jesus, Peter says this. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing and healing all who are oppressed by the devil, for God is with him. That sounds cool to me. I'm in for that, right? Doing good and healing those under the power of the devil. That's what Jesus did. I want to be like that. Do you want to be like that? It's a good, good thing. The Holy Spirit is doing that in you. So this is unpacking those so you understand what those things are. And now I want to get into the final two big verses. 5 verse 24 says this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Oh. The Christian life is about a passionate yes, but it's also about a passionate no. I mean, literally, if you were to follow me around like a fly on the wall, there will be probably, I don't know, once or twice during every day you'll hear me go, no. Because something's coming and I'm not having it. It's coming and I'm like, if I go down that road, I'm in trouble. And I said, no. <laughs> it's reality, right? Violent. Crucifixion is violent, decisive, radical, final. That's my approach. It has to be. It has to be. This is a very, very serious thing. The Christian life cannot be lived 50-50. Did you know that? And I feel, I feel more and more comfortable saying it the older I get. Because when I was a young preacher, I think, oh, everyone's thinking, oh, of course, he's sort of 25. You know, he's just kind of radical. I'm 40 now, and I want to say this to you louder than ever. The Christian life cannot be lived 50-50. It is an absolute deception to try to do so. It's so insulting. I thought Simon's illustration last week was so powerful. When he got that insight that God gave him about his strenuous effort in the gym compared with his, at times, different kind of effort in the things of God. I felt utterly pinned to the wall by it. I thought, yeah, wow. There were things I might give myself to in life and then, uh, strangely sort of tepid, lukewarm, strangely different around the things of God. It's like a spirit of stupor. It's like, the Bible refers to it's like it's kind of sort of semi-drunk. It's kind of, I'm kind of here, but, you know. Why is that? That's nasty. I tell you now, if I do not learn how to deal with my sinful appetites, they will take over. End of story. This is not polite. This is not games. They will take over. I will find myself trapped. I will be in trouble. I'll be another one of those pastors who was around for a while and what happened to him. Well, you know what happened to him. Stop crucifying his flesh. Stop saying that. Happens so often. Whether it's control. What's your thing? What's, what's your the sinful appetite for you? Is it control, power? Sexual lust, sexual craziness, greed, anger, what is it? Kill it. And then kill it tomorrow, and then kill it the next day. Jesus said, daily, you want to be my disciple, daily, pick up your cross. It's just part of the course you need to know. Now, I want to just highlight something quickly, because people talk about, it's a journey, man, it's a journey. Following Jesus is a journey. Right? Yes, it's a journey. 
But it's not this kind of journey. So I'll start kind of giving him 10%. And then as I mature, maybe at some point, I'll give him everything. That is not the Christian journey. That is not it. The Christian journey is I'll give myself to Jesus. And then for the next however many years until I'm taken to glory, I'm figuring out, oh, when I gave myself to Jesus, ah, he's opening my eyes to what it means. I'm realizing, oh, wow, oh, gosh, the radical nature of it, the depths of my heart that he's doing surgery on, the things that are revealing to me. It's an incredible journey, but it's 100% the whole time. Hopefully, towards the end of the journey, it looks much more like Jesus because I've moved on. But my heart attitude the whole time is exactly the same. I'm all yours. That's the journey. Okay? If you're saying, no, 10% now, but when I later on 100%, you are deceived. There is, no. No, no, that is, you've been duped. Christian life. It's a passionate, passionate life. Final verse. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If I am born again, if I am alive to God, if I live by the Spirit, then I need to learn to walk or live up to what, who I say I now am in Jesus. If that's who I am, I need to line up with who I really am. If I am brand new, if I am born again, if I am regenerated by the power of the Spirit, I need to learn to walk in that. So how do we do it? How do we walk in the Spirit? I want to help us with that. First, you have got to be born of the Spirit. You have to be born again, first of all. It's basic, but it's really important that you realise that. You've got to, you've got to be born in the spirit john 3 jesus says this truly truly i say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of god that which is born of the flesh is flesh that which is born of the spirit is spirit when the spirit comes upon you and you're born again you're a brand new creation um how do you know that you're born again i would say there are a few really important markers just so you know firstly a sorrow over sin you know, you, 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 those things you used to boast about, you're now ashamed of. You're, you feel conviction, a sense of what was I doing. Sorrow over sin. Secondly, a change of mind. An absolute change of mind. A change, total U-turn in your approach to life. Out of the driver's seat, Jesus, please get into the driver's seat. A love for Jesus. Those things are supernatural. If that is you, you've been born again. If that is you, you that is not normal. People don't love Jesus naturally. People don't weep and mourn over their sin, naturally. It's a work of God, if that is you. Everyone's, the way it happens, you know what God's like, he knows us all, he works, and it's all a little bit different, and you can't get too systematized over it. But there are four essentials you're looking for, whatever order they happen in. You're looking for repentance, a turning. You're looking for faith, Jesus is enough, it's not me trying to earn it, I'm totally hanging on to Jesus. You're looking for baptism, and you're looking for receiving the power of the Spirit. Read for the book of Acts, they're the four things you're always going to see. To be born of God. Once you've been born of the Spirit, how do you then walk in the Spirit? There's one particular element I want to uh, emphasize today. I'm going to just focus on that. Then a bit of application. Then we're done. And it's this. Listen, to walk by the Spirit is the same thing as to abide in Christ. It's the same thing. When Jesus said, abide in me, it's exactly the same because the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Jesus is no longer with us physically. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's poured out one just like him, the Holy Spirit, who we're to learn to walk with. So to walk in the Spirit, which can sound a bit mystical, how do I do that? Well, to abide in Christ is exactly the same thing. 
So, and we have some wonderful clues as to how to abide in Christ. I want to pick up on one of them that is very, very important today. So if we look at two verses here, uh, John fifteen seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. John 8, Jesus said to the Jews who have believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, I want to just talk about to abide in Christ means that... We abide in his word, and his word then abides in us. That, that is a huge pillar in learning how to walk by the Spirit. We can't imp- unpack every dynamic, but I want to focus on it, because my hunch is, is that for some of us it's a weak area, and we feel a bit like, oh, how can I really grow in this? So I want to just spend a little bit of time just to help you on this. Scripture memorization and scripture meditation is essential to abiding in Christ just is it just is uh there is a frightening reality around the power of meditation when i hear on the news about a suicide bomber someone who was really i just i guess just absolutely willingly thrown their life away for this cause what intrigues me is is what happened to that person what brought them from i guess just part of the crowd to that what is it well here's what it is it's an immersion into an ideology they are utterly immersed into an ideology into a way of thinking that gets them to the point where they're willing to blow themselves up that is the power of meditation that is the power of being immersed in something and we might, you might want to use the term brainwashing but I've got a bit of a frightening kind of a, uh, <laughs> comment to make about that all of us are constantly being brainwashed you don't, none of us live in a vacuum. Our minds are all constantly being uh, washed over by philosophies, ideas, value systems. Uh, the issue isn't whether or not you're brainwashed. The issue is what you're washing your brain in. That's the issue, right? So this whole idea of meditation, what you mull over, what you really immerse yourself in, uh, what you immerse yourself in is what you become. That, that's not even like a Christian teaching. That's just an observation. What you immerse yourself in, you become. Hence, there is. It's not even a Christian point. It's just a creation point. Immerse yourself in it leads to transformation. It just does. And I'm talking about a lot more than doing your chapter for the day. Now I can go and immerse myself in something. No. No, no, no. I am... God is about absolutely transforming me into the image of Christ. One of the key ways he wants to do that is he wants to immerse me in his word. Look at this uh, scripture here, John Romans 12. Um, Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There it is. How do I want to be transformed? The renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that what is good, acceptable and perfect. Or look at this scripture here. Colossians 3. Um, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seek at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. How do you do that? You know, thinking of walls of sapphire. You know, how do do you know what I mean? How do you do that? Meditate on the Bible. This is the heavenly stuff. This is what it is. Um... How do you do it? I want, to, I want to show you how you can learn Psalm 23 in a week. Just teach you how to... Is that alright? Just quickly? Yeah. 
You up for that? Okay. Uh, just quickly teach you how to... How, okay, here's what you do. Um, so Psalm 23, uh, what you do is day one, you read verse one ten times. Just read it out loud ten times. Then you close it and you recite it ten times. Done. Easy. Say easy. Easy. Day two. Wake up. That's, that's the hard bit. Wake up. <laughs> recite yesterday's verse ten times. Okay? Then read and recite the next verse ten times. So then read the new one, verse two, ten times. So, for example, so Proverbs, so Psalm 23. So, on day two, I'm then going to recite, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Then I'm going to read ten times. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters ten times. Then I'm going to recite that ten times. Day three. I'm going to recite yesterday's verse ten times. Which is verse 2. Then I'm going to recite 1 and 2 together 10 times. Then I'm going to learn verse 3. And on I go. After six days, I've got the whole psalm. I've got it down. I've got it down. <laughs> Throughout the day, I'm just probably four or five times in a day. I'm just going just, to just make sure I'm not yet good. Yeah, still got it right. And before you know it, it's in. You should make, if you make that part of your life, the word of Jesus will be abiding in you. You'll be being transformed. I mean, it is that straightforward. Um, but it, it, it does take effort. If someone ever says that effort and grace are incompatible, they're just lying to you. A massive part of grace is that grace empowers you to absolutely give yourself to Christ. To work harder. Than you've ever worked. Grace. Okay, we're going to end now. Application. So what? Three things. So what? Number one. If all you're into as a Christian is magic moments and not steady cultivation, if you're not into training, if you're not into practice, if you're not into loving attention and watchfulness, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle to mature. You're going to struggle to grow. You'll stay in the same cycles of immaturity year on year. You'll get old, but you won't get mature. It does happen. Um, so we are called to cooperate with the Lord as he sets out to fully restore his image in us now this is only burdensome this meditation this, it's only burdensome if it's not your priority I'll just say that one more time it only becomes burdensome if it's not your priority if, you, if God's priority is to make you like Christ and yours isn't it's going to be burdensome God is really up for us having other things in life we're passionate about. Absolutely. But our first thing is his kingdom. His righteousness. What he's doing. And so if that's not your first thing, you're going to really struggle. You're going to, con- you're going to, you're going to be feeling torn the whole time. If you just say, alright Lord, I'm really going to go for this first of all. And let everything else find its level. It's not burdensome. It's an absolute joy. So what? Number two. So what? This is about the reputation of God in our city. That's what. I have been privy over the years to conversations people have had about Christians that they've worked with that has broken my heart. Christians they've worked with who they start taking the mick out of, hallelujah, but why? When you listen to the conversation, it's because that Christian doesn't pull their weight at work. That Christian's got bad character. That Christian's immature. 
That Christian has no self-control. That Christian is not kind. That Christian is skewy. Look at this verse. This is a very challenging verse here. In, uh, as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That's written to the Jews. Because of your behaviour, God's name is being blasphemed by the nations around you. Because of the way you're acting, his name is blasphemed. This is the alternative. Jesus says, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. As we allow the Lord to transform us into his image and let him work and cooperate and make that our priority, I tell you what, the reputation of God in this city changes. People begin glorifying him, saying, I've looked at you, and you know what? I'm willing to talk about Jesus. Now, because of you, because of your life. It's huge. That's so what? It's massive. And the final so what would be to those of you in the room that you just think you're not sure. You, or either you're not sure if you're born again or you know you're not born again. I, I want to just say this. It starts with the whole, you've got to be planted in Christ. <laughs> you, get, you can't just, oh, well, okay, right, great stuff. I'm going to go home and try and be patient. No, 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 don't leave and do that. Find Jesus. Find Jesus. Right? This isn't a self-help seminar. This is a, we need Jesus house. Right? This is a, we can't do it in our own power. This is a God supernatural thing. Be planted in Jesus. Let Jesus' word, his gospel, the good news that he loves you, that he's come for you, that he's paid your debt, let that take root in your heart and trust in him. Amen?